Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Bruce Arians takes another look and says only one interception was Jameis Winston's fault. We'll tell you who was to really blame, except at the end, you know, when like the whole game was on the line. And the Bucks make a flurry of moves for some offensive line help. How do the Rays get Tyler Glass now and Blake Snell back in the mix and still build their innings while trying to win every game? Will the Rays maintain their spot as the top AL wildcard team? We've got all that and Rays beat writer Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joining us on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, uh, we're going to have our popular mailbag segment tomorrow on the podcast. We'll answer all your questions on the Bucks, the Rays, the Lightning, USF, Florida, Florida State, whatever you have. Uh, just bring it to the table on tomorrow's podcast. Send us your questions on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or you can send them by email to rstroud at tampabay.com or your mailbag on tomorrow's podcast. Mark Topkin will join us in just a minute as the Rays begin a series in Texas as they hold on to the top wild card spot in the American League. I was at uh, the Bucks on Monday and had a chance to speak with Bruce Arians. They're already beginning preparations for their game Thursday night at Carolina, nationally televised game, obviously. Very short week, short turnaround. Probably a good thing for the Bucks, who are still trying to recover from that 31-17 loss that they had to the San Francisco 49ers. You know, after the game, we talked to Bruce Arians about the three interceptions that Jameis Winston threw. And, of course, the first one went off the hands of O.J. Howard, certainly not his fault. Um, but after the game, you know, Arians had said, well, he, you know, he threw the hitch late uh, to, to Peyton Barber, and you can't do that. It's a bad matchup with Richard Sherman. Uh, and then, of course, the final interception was the death knell when, you know, we tried to throw a screen pass when Dare Agumboale got hung up in the middle of the field and he floated it out there anyway, and that was a pick six and ended the game with about two minutes to go and the Bucks needing a touchdown to win. But then after reviewing the film on Monday, Bruce Arians said, you know what, really just the last interception was on Jameis because Dare Agumboale, by gosh, he didn't run a good route. He, he was too deep, and Jameis threw the ball perfectly where it was supposed to go. And really, you can't blame that one on the quarterback. So, okay, let's review. Um, three interceptions, only one of them on Jameis. But it happened to come when they were trailing by, you know, a, needed a touchdown to win and had two minutes and 11 seconds to go, two-minute warning, a couple timeouts, plenty of time. It's only first down when he floats the ball out there on the uh, screen pass that nobody was there. And, you know, so, I, I mean, you can't forgive that one. But this seems to be sort of what, is the been the pattern around around the Bucks, not just with Winston, but for a lot of quarterbacks. I wrote a column in today's Tampa Bay Times. You had a chance to read it on TampaBay.com, sort of about you know how how this this seems like Groundhog Day around here. I mean, it, you could go back to you know Trent Dilfer and you know him throwing two interceptions and losing a fumble in a, in a season opener 
1999 with Tony Dungy against the New York Giants when the defense absolutely just stoned the Giants, and still the Bucks managed to lose that game because Dilfer gave it away in essence. Or, you know, Josh Freeman against the New York Jets on a Greg Schiano with an interception and then kicking a ball out of the end zone for a safety in a, in a game that was won by a late field goal after Levante David had a personal foul. Um, you know, Greg Schiano sort of standing up for Freeman in that one. I mean, that's what coaches do. And we know that Bruce Arians is going to have Jameis Winston's back. He said that coming in. He cleared the deck and made sure there's no challenge to him at the number two or number three spots with Lane Gabbert and Ryan Griffin. And this is Jameis's team. And yet, um, you know, it just seems as, you know, he, he's gotten off to slow starts before. In fact, more often than not, um, he's gotten off to a slow start. And here's yet another coach who's, I don't know if alibi is the right word, but sort of explain, if you will, you know, every interception has a story. We always say that every turnover, but this is 61 interceptions now in like 57, 58 games. And so Bruce Arians is just the latest, you know, to, to sort of undergo the Jameis Winston experience. But um, it's just weird to me. It's like, you know, uh, and, and I understand what he's saying. And, and look, there were a lot of plays in that game, Steve, that, that Jameis Winston was not responsible for, like the fumble by O.J. Howard, like the first interception that went off Howard's hands, you know, like the two holding penalties on DeMar Dotson that negated two touchdown passes to Cameron Brait. You know, uh, the fourth and two pass is something that Arians didn't talk about. You know, the, the safety made a good play. He kind of just stood right there. They were running, you know, two, two inside routes uh, trying to hit Chris Godwin. Um, that ball could have been intercepted. It was knocked down on fourth down, so it was you know the ball went over on downs. He didn't talk about the Quan Alexander dropped pick though. Did not talk about the Quan Alexander been a fourth dropped pick. pick. Absolutely. So you know, there's a lot of throws that he got away with that just were bad throws or bad decisions, and you know here we are sort of trying to explain that two of the three picks you know were not on Jameis, and maybe it wasn't as bad as you look. But you know, I thought, and I can't remember whether I think it was Scott Reynolds or somebody at Peter Report might have asked the question especially the last one, you know, that he should have just dirted because it's first down. You're in four down territory. You're going to go four downs every every play, every series. You just need 10 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards. Plenty of time to move the ball up the field with a two-minute warning in the timeouts. Um, and the question was asked, well, you know, after five years, doesn't Jameis have a better understanding of situational football that he wouldn't make that mistake? And Arian said, well, he was kind of under duress, but, yeah, you would think so. Yes, you would think so is the right answer. Under duress, I'm not so sure. Um, but regardless, you know, that was, the, that was the killer mistake there at the end of the game. And it's funny because as we do this podcast, we just got done watching the New Orleans Saints become the first team in the NFC South to get a win this week. Uh, they managed to go 1-0 in just what was just a, a really well-played, well-executed game, at least offensively, and some defensive plays as well by the Houston Texans and uh, and, and, you know, the New Orleans Saints. And Deshaun Watson, you know, with, what, like under a minute left, needing a touchdown to take the lead, need, uses all of, like, two great throws to get him in the end zone. And, you know, they miss the extra point, but there's a roughing the kicker. Then they make it, um, you know, to go up uh, by a couple of points. And then Drew Brees has just enough time to bring his team back with a few seconds left and some bad defense by the Texans, especially – uh, as clock, you know, the clock was winding down and they had just enough time for one more play to try to get Will Lutz into field goal range, and they did that. And at the buzzer, of course, Lutz bangs a, a career-high 58-yarder to win the game against the Texans. But there's two quarterbacks, and that's what the NFL is. 
The NFL is going to come down to the final minute or two. You're going to have a chance to either drive the ball down for a touchdown or field goal to win the game, or you're going to have to be that team that, that tries to milk the clock out and run the clock out on the opponent that's trying to play defense and get the ball away. Um, you know, And that's typically the way the league goes. It's doing a lot of one-score games, a lot of less-than-field-goal games, and that's that's sort of the game that the Bucks were in with two minutes to play. Everything's right in front of them. And then they get the bad play, you know, by Winston and of course the pick six, the second one of the game, third interception overall, fourth turnover overall, and they lose the football game. So quick turnaround to go to Carolina. That's a that's a tough team to beat, but uh, you know, once again, it's a it's a third head coach. And I don't expect anything else from Marion's. I expect him to have his guys back. I mean, this is why he's here is to coach Jameis Winston, and there's gonna be some growing pains with this new offense. You know, it is the first year in the system. I heard somebody on the radio today try to try to suggest that, you know, well, Winston, you know, always starts slow because he always has a new system to adjust to. Uh, not so fast, my friend. He's been on the same offensive system for four years under Dirk Cutter, who was his offensive coordinator as a rookie, and then became his head coach for the last three seasons. So this is really, since he's become a pro, the first new system that he's under. And, and I think it's tough for him, Steve, because he's a drive-the-ball guy. You know half of his passes the other night? Were five yards or left? Half of them. Wow. Well, I also heard, yeah. and, and, and to contrast, you know, Jameis having slow starts, Ian Rappaport was on WDAE on Monday morning, and he yeah. said that when Arians got to Arizona, and he remembers mm-hmm. it was five or six weeks into the season, and it was it was a struggle out there. And, mm-hmm. you know, talking to the players out there, and it, and it took them a few weeks. It was five or six or seven weeks into the season for the offense really to click. Now, that was, you had Carson Palmer as your quarterback. But it wasn't yeah. smooth the first couple of weeks out there either as they yeah. were learning a new system and that. So, you know, not saying that that's what's going to happen here, but it, it, there's a track record that, you know, Bruce's offense is very different than what uh, was run here by Dirk Cutter before. So there mm-hmm. is going to be some growing pains with that too. So, Well, I think there will be for sure, and I think he'll be a better quarterback as the year goes on. And, and you know, look, the other guys have to be in the right places too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, on one of those those interceptions that, you know, Barber ran the route too deep according to – Bruce Arians, after he was able to go back and watch the tape, you know, Mike Evans is a linebacker blitzing, and Mike Evans is supposed to cut his route off and present himself to Evans in what they would call, you know, he's hot. It's a hot route. When he sees the linebacker come, um, that means the middle of the field is vacant, and instead of running, you know, deep post or whatever he was supposed to do, he's supposed to cut his route short and present himself for Winston, and he just kept going down the field. So, you know, Winston has just one other guy working the right side of the field. Unfortunately, it's Barber against Sherman, which is a bad match. They got a safety over the top. So Sherman's not worried about Barber running by him. He's going to squat on that route, and he did. But, you know, when the ball was thrown outside, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, Sherman was sort of behind Barber, but he was able to just, you know, make make the right approach to the ball because, you know, Barber you know, ran ran too deep on his route, according to Arians. And the ball was already in the air, so it's an easy pick six. But, you know, th- these things will happen. There's there's always going to be mis- miscommunications. And I do think, you know, that, that Winston is trying to execute the offense the way the Bucks want him to. Now, he's still hanging on to the ball too long. In some cases, almost a full second than some guys, especially Garoppolo, who got it out of there yesterday in about 2.5 or less. Um, Jameis is usually around three or a little over. Uh, so, you know, there, there's some indecision there, I still think. And, and he was always prone to hold the ball anyway. But um, now when he, you know, when he comes to a hitch route or comes to some of these, 
these checkdowns that he's that he's trying to u- utilize when the defense is giving it to him. Um, you know, he just doesn't seem to be as decisive. He seemed a little indecisive. He thought he was making quick decisions yesterday, but as you sat and watched him, it just didn't feel that way. And that's to be expected because, like you said, a new offense, the first new offensive system he's had, um, you know, a lot of thinking going on out there by not just him but by all the players, including Mike Evans and, and guys that made mental errors yesterday that hurt him. And as Bruce Arians said, he goes, look, we got to play better around the guy. But you know what? Sometimes, sometimes the quarterback is supposed to make guys around him better, right? He's supposed to elevate their games and make them look, look better than they really are uh, by being accurate, by being consistent, um, by making the right decisions with the football and not beating his team. And, look, I don't expect Jameis Winston to go out there and make the Pro Bowl and, and all those sort of things this year in his first year under Winston's, but he cannot be the reason why they lose games. You know, you cannot be that guy. And unfortunately, you know, Bucks fans have had that guy too many times. Um, this is this is really Groundhog Day. It is the eternal search for the quarterback, and you know, turnovers seem to be the common denominator. Whether you're talking about Dilfer or Freeman or whomever, um, and this just can you know Benny Testaverde going as far back as him, and and now we have Jameis in his fifth year, and you know, coming in, I thought there's virtually no way he's not back here in 2020. You know, just because he's going to play well enough, he's going to throw for over 4,000 yards if he stays healthy. Um, you know, Arians didn't come here at 66 years old to start over. But you know what? It is possible to play yourself out of, out of Tampa because we've seen quarterbacks with better resumes do it, you know, um, anywhere from Steve Young to Testaverde to Dilfer and, you know, and all those guys. So, you know, remains to be seen. And, of course, you know, short week going up to Carolina – they managed to score 27 points uh, after getting down early to the Los Angeles Rams. They had two turnovers, but Christian McCaffrey just, you know, gashed them almost 200 yards of uh, total offense. You know, Cam Newton is bound to have a better game in primetime television, of course. This defense is going to be tested, and they did very well, you know, in week one against San Francisco, but that's not a dynamic offense, to say the least, especially George Kittle and Jimmy Garoppolo, and, and that's and that's about it. You're done after that. So a much bigger test for the defense, another good test for the offense and for Jameis Winston, who, you know, continues to go out there and, and, and make some mistakes. And, you know, we'll see if he can straighten that out. But, you know, sometimes week one is a liar in the NFL. I think there's a lot of teams that probably lost that uh, are going to find themselves in the playoffs or maybe even a Super Bowl and certainly – um, you know, there's teams that, that won as well, much like the Bucks did a year ago, started out 2-0, and they managed to win only five games. So don't place too much, too much emphasis on week one, but, you know, when week two comes four days later and you're the road team, that's a quick turnaround. So to that point, the Bucks are already starting to make uh, some moves. They had a flurry of moves on Monday. They go and get Josh Wells, who's an offensive tackle, uh, that was with the Jacksonville Jaguars the last five seasons. In fact, he started five games last season, so they signed Josh Wells. And then they waived Caleb Beninock, who was a former fifth-round pick in 2016. Um, Beninock was sort of the backup tackle. Last year, he started 18 games at right guard, and then they switched him out to tackle. So he gets waived. And then Justin Evans, a safety who just can't get on the field. Of course, he had that you know sort of horrific uh, toe injury that, you know, then became a heel injury on the other foot, missed all of OTAs, all of training camp, most of the preseason, managed to, I think, maybe uh, get into one game or at least dress for the Dallas game. 
Uh, now he has an Achilles situation, so they're able to put him on IR. And because he was on the roster opening day, he could be subject to recall in eight weeks. But the way this thing is going, um, it's been about eight months. And, jo- you know, uh, Justin Evans is not back on the field. And that's a big loss because they're not very deep at safety. And had Evans been healthy, I think this coaching staff would have really liked what he could do. He had a ton of range. But, you know what, his his feet just seem to be a huge problem. And it, and it just – sort of just different areas, you know, are responding poorly to uh, to all the treatments and things. So we hope that he gets back at some point, but he's going to be out now for eight weeks. So those are the moves that the Bucks made. They also had some guys added to the injury report, O.J. Howard. Uh, it was a walk-through practice, so not much going on there, but he's added to the injury report with an ankle injury. Ronald Jones, uh, who ran very, very well, of course, averaged over, what, five, seven a carry or something like that the other night. He's got a toe injury, and he was on the injury report as well. And Bobo Wilson, uh, their wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner guy, uh, he also was on the injury report or added to that with an ankle. So uh, a couple additions there, but, uh, you know, we'll have more from One Buck Place. No days off this week, of course, because they play Thursday night in Carolina, so they'll practice again this morning, again today. We'll be at One Buck Place. We'll have a chance to talk with Jameis Winston, also talk to Byron Leftwich about the first game and Bruce Arians. And so we'll bring that some of that information for you. You can always check it out on TampaVay.com as well. All right, Mark Topkin joins us now. And uh, the Rays are 27 games above 500 after this incredible 9-1 and homestand, two-and-a-half game lead over the uh, Cleveland Indians, uh, who currently would be on the outside looking in. Mark, uh, you know, it seemed like that things are getting better for the Rays in terms of getting some guys back. Tyler Glass now. Started on Sunday, uh, the first inning he was lights out. They said he, he hit, I guess, 100 miles an hour, which is a really good scene. Um, you know, second inning not so much, a couple of walks and whatnot. But what is the potential now for Tyler Glass now, and what is what is the idea going forward? Are they going to try to build up his innings? Will he be sort of a an opener, uh, bulk inning guy? What are they going to do with him? Yeah, Rana Rick, I think the plan is to try to you know kind of build him back into being a traditional full-time starter. I mean, it's an un- uncommon phrase around here. They've been getting by with two lately with uh, Charlie Morton and Ryan Yarborough, but he looks healthy. Glassnow looks healthy, and the 100-mile-an-hour reading clearly made that clear. It's going to just be a matter now of, of, as you say, building him up, You know, making sure the control, the command are good enough. It's a challenge. I mean, this is – you think of you – know, if you look at it from the perspective of all that Kevin Cash and Kyle Snyder, the pitching coach, have had to navigate this season – with the injuries, the inconsistencies, I mean, now Jose Alvarado going from their de facto closer to a non-factor. I mean, all the things, Blake Snell, not much of an encore year to the Cy Young. So all the things they've had to deal with now, the good news is you've got Tyler Glass now and, and conceivably potentially Blake Snell coming back. The bad news is you're down to the last you know, 17 games of the season, 18 going into yesterday or Sunday, and then you've got to figure out how to get these guys innings, build them back up, but also make sure you still are in position to win the game. You're not putting yourself in a hole. I mean, if Tyler Glassnow had walked the first three guys on Sunday, what were they going to do? Exactly. They going to pull him right then and not run risk. You can't risk losing the game, but if you don't let him get his you know, 30, 40 pitches in and next time 40, 50 pitches in, then you're kind of going against a program of building him up. So it's really a tough situation in, in one way. In the other hand, sure, it's great. I mean, if you said the choice is you can have Tyler Glassnow back or you can't, of course you're going to want to have him back. And, you know, he keeps he keeps using this quote. He said it a couple of times already. Is they're going to build me back up, so I'm back to being a full length starter for the playoffs. So that's clearly what his goal is. And 
you know, look, if that happens and they get Glass now back, Morton stays healthy, Yarbrough keeps doing what he does, and even if Schnell gets back to almost full strength and they were to get past the wild card game or get into it, get past it, it would at least be a pretty interesting matchup, whether it's the Yankees or Astros. Sure would. And and the other guy, and you're right, they're, they're kind of walking the tightrope here of, of needing to win these games and still get these guys' innings. But that might be why Blake Snell is going to stay in Durham for a little bit longer. I know his outing wasn't as impressive down there. What's the what's the plan with Blake going forward? Yeah, I think he'll you'll see him pitch uh, one more time for Durham, as you said, um, probably Wednesday. I think they're going to open the final round. It was fortunate for the Rays. They had four teams make the playoffs and only one advanced, and that was Durham. So there's a place for... Blake Snell the pitch. Yet the other factor is, you know, they're they're kind of running out of opportunities to get these guys, you know, innings in the minor leagues. I mean, Durham is pitching. I don't think Yanni Chirinos will be ready for that. So when he is ready in another week or so, they'll have to kind of put something together with their instructional league guys. So if uh, Blake Snell pitches on Wednesday for Durham and that goes well, they'll probably try to get him two innings or so as they did in Glasnow's second rehab outing. You could see him join the team on the West Coast road trip. They go. Texas starting tonight, as we talked about, Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday. Then they play Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Anaheim, off Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, next week at Dodger Stadium. So I think you'd see Snell join them you know, at some point on that California swing and, and probably the same thing, get in there like last I did on Sunday, throw a couple innings and see how it goes. One guy that did work on some things uh, in Durham was Brendan McKay, and uh, he came up and uh, had, a, had a pretty good outing, struck out seven and three and a two-thirds innings. What did McKay do, and what did he work on specifically to help him this time around? Well, I think with McKay, it was two things and, and kind of related. I mean, he had you know, this really weird two back-to-back outings. He walked nine in his last two outings in the big leagues. He walked, I think it was three in his first six outings. So clearly something was amiss there. Uh, he went down to Durham, threw one bullpen, felt a little – uh, fatigue in his shoulder. They flew him right back because when you're a first round pick with seven million buck bonus, you get flown right back to see Dr. <laughs> Eaton. And uh, they checked him out down here, decided he was fine, a little rest would help. And that seemed to work. He threw for Durham, came back through a really good game for the Rays, obviously, uh, on Friday night. So what he said, and it seems like a valid theory, is you know, the inflammation, whatever it was, he ended up getting a cortisone shot, must have been leading to him making some slight adjustment in his mechanics, which is why he was off and throwing so many balls, which is just so unusual for him. So either way, it's almost like a placebo. Whether that really was it or not, in his mind, that's what it was. He got it straightened out. He came back. He pitched really well. So I think at this point, if you're the Rays, you say, yep, that's what it was, Brandon. Just keep going back out there and throwing strikes again. But that's a that's a big thing, too. So you think of where they were a week ago. Now they've got Brandon McKay back. He pitched well. They've got Tyler Glass now mm-hmm. back. He pitched well with some promise to get even better. And they got Blake Snell making a second rehab start with the potential to have him back. So it's a pretty big uh, turnaround in the positive direction. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Last week or so really is, and yet uh, I think if I'd have told you at the start of the season that the guy that would you know set a career record for innings pitched and 
uh, games pitch would be Charlie Morton. You might tell me that that wasn't a good idea. Um, but he's done just that, and I don't know where they'd be without Charlie. By the same token, now we're really down in the dog days here. What What is going to be the ultimate uh, result of that? Any, any fatigue that is that is starting to show? Are they worried about his innings at this point? Yeah, it, it, about a month or so ago, maybe even five weeks ago, Kevin Cash one day in a pregame said something along the lines of, you know, we're going to you know try and limit Charlie's innings, you know, shave an inning or two. Maybe it might have even been more than that. It might have been seven or eight weeks ago. We're going to shave an inning or two off his outings. We're going to try to give him an extra day between starts, you know, even if it meant mm-hmm. skipping a start. You know, we're going to try to figure this out. Then, you know, Snell went down in late July. Then Chirinos went down. And then Cash said, yeah, forget everything I said about that. we got to just <laughs> ride this guy as much as we can. And Charlie Morton, he's been really good. I talked to him at length about it the other day, in fact, before his last start. And he said, look, you know, I, I you know, I agree. It's, you know, not something you would have expected. You know, the most he's now matched the most starts he's ever made. He's now matched or surpassed the most regular season innings he's ever thrown. His most innings ever in a season, postseason rehab, everything all put together is 180. So he'll surpass that in his next start. He's never had a season since he got to the big leagues full time in 2011 where he didn't go on the injured list. So, uh, so far he has not, obviously. And, and you know, even if something happened now, he probably wouldn't this year. But point being, this is definitely uncharted territory for him, too. So, Said he feels good. He's very cognizant of all the little, you know, warning signs and keys. He said he went back and looked uh, through, you know, the data he keeps on himself from last year when he ended up on the injured list uh, just for a brief stint with Houston, just out of fatigue toward the end of August, and said, yeah, you know, everything looks better and he feels better now than he did then. So, I think they're going to ride him at this point. I mean, you know, there's an opportunity with the off days. I mean, they were off Monday. They're off yeah. again next Monday before they play the Dodgers. So they've got another off day when they get back from the Dodgers. So there's a chance to give them an extra day or two without skipping a start. I think that'll be the goal. You know, offensively, you need your big players to play big right down the stretch, and they've been getting that from uh, Tommy Pham and Austin Meadows. Uh, In speaking about Pham, you know, he became just the second-raised player to have 20 home runs and 20 steals in the same season. First of all, I'm a little surprised that he's only the second. I know B.J. Upton did it a number of times. But, Mark, I guess baseball has evolved such that it's rare to see somebody steal 20 bases and hit hit with power. It's either sort of one or the other. I guess the stolen base is not as big of a thing as it used to be. It's more about the long ball. Yeah, I mean, we've certainly seen that with the explosion in home runs and, and guys that you wouldn't think of as 20 and 30 home run hitters that have gotten to that level. But there does seem to be a scrolling back in, in the uh, value of the stolen base. And you know, talked to B.J. Upton about it the other day and, wrote about it in Sunday's Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com, and he said, you know, the devaluing of the stolen bases made it why it's harder to get to. And there's still guys doing it, but most of the players that have done it, I think Pham was the seventh this season. You know, not all, but most of those are kind of the elite-level guys where that's their standard. And you got a new guy like Ronald Acuna Jr. with the Braves who's an exciting young player who may be at that level for a, uh, for a while. But it, it does. It seems like except for the elite super speed guys that are still going to steal all their bases. You don't see the other guys taking those risks because teams don't want to give up the out. And that does make it a little bit higher challenge. But I agree with you with all the athletic type players, the Rays have had here over the years. And Mm -hmm. Carl Crawford is certainly the one that pops to mind immediately as to, you know, how he didn't get to a 2020 season. Even Kevin Kiermaier, I think would have the potential uh, to be there at some point. And, and, you know, some other guys that we could probably, if we looked at a roster, we'd name along the way. It's surprising that, only B.J. Upton and Tommy Pham have actually gotten there. You know, uh, the trade that just keeps giving, of course, is the Chris Archer deal to the Pirates. We talk about Glass now, and who knows what he would have done had he stayed healthy the whole season. The same could be said for Austin Meadows, who missed a good portion of time 
Mark, this guy has uh, gotten hot again at the right time. He's, you know, the other day hit his 28th home run. Can you imagine what he would have done had he not missed, what, like a month or so? Yeah, he missed a good three weeks or so. And, and then, you know, he also had a pretty down period in the middle of the season there where he didn't really do much at all for a few weeks. So, yeah, he'd certainly be pushing or, or over 30 home runs at this point. He'd be pushing 100 RBIs. He's probably going to come up a little short on the RBIs, but I think he'll get to 30 home runs. Uh, the way it's going, Rick, and the average is getting back up there. So, just been a tremendous uh, pickup, and you know, just a, at this point, anyway, you know, low key guy, uh, not you know, not really. It makes it really doesn't really make it about himself. It's about the team. It's what he can do to help. You know, you see him DH sometimes. I mean, there's still some work to be done on his defense. Price still some work to be done on his base running, but sure. the way he's hitting right now, a lefty bat, and you, you know, he can hit first in the order. He can hit in the middle of the order, and just provide that consistency and. You know, there hasn't been a ton of guys that have been consistent all year. And then we mentioned, yeah, as I said, he did have a down period in the middle of the season. But, you know, he, uh, Sam, Avisel Garcia, those are the guys that for the most part, when they've mm-hmm. been in the lineup, have found a way to produce. And then I think Meadows would be at the top of that list. It's that time of year where they could expand the rosters. They've done that. And uh, one guy that we may have forgotten about was Daniel Robertson, who went down there and had to work on a bunch of things. But he's come up now and is doing it with the glove and the bat. How do they find uh, you know places for him in the lineup right now? Yeah, it was interesting because he was a guy that you know really you could have written off for this being a lost season. I mean, just played you know we put put up some really bad numbers early in the season. Uh, actually got sent to the minors, brought back when somebody else got hurt, then had a knee issue, ended up having surgery, and went back to AAA and was doing okay down there. wasn't necessarily even tearing it up, and you know they did take advantage this is the last year and thankfully so after seeing some of these three and a half hour and plus games lately but this is the last year of the full 40-man roster expansion next year the rules as they're currently written allow only for 28 so it'll look a lot different next year but the Rays are taking full advantage and you know Daniel Robertson's back now Mike Brossel's back too so you know those guys are a little bit similar Robertson got to play a few times before Brossel came back his 10 days in the minors hadn't expired yet so how they split those guys up. But Robertson's definitely a plus defensive player, and I think that's going to be what gets him in the lineup. In fact, Saturday he was in the lineup for his defense with Charlie Morton pitching, and he ended up getting the big hit. So it's funny how that stuff works out sometimes uh, as well. But just the idea that he can contribute, and I think getting a couple big hits, he's he's a guy, there's certain guys that you know, you, you know from being around where they kind of are on that roller coaster with where their confidence level is. And the fact that yeah. he got a couple big hits, I think that'll really help him going forward for these next couple of weeks. And going back to L.A., he's from that area. He had the huge grand slam in a game there a couple of years ago uh, at the Angels. And I think that'll be good for him. And he could be a guy who could help them. He's got a lot of skills, and he can play, you know, he can play basically this, all three infield positions. They've actually worked him out of first once in a while as well. So he could really be a guy who helps them down the stretch. And we can have fun with this in a couple of weeks on the podcast. But how they're going to pick the playoff roster if they get there out of all these guys that they've had uh, and used oh, in different man. roles will really be fascinating. It sure will. And uh, let's, you know, for the race sake, let's hope they have that that problem. Um, yeah, Robertson's one of those guys you can tell when he's pra- – I mean, he squeezes the sawdust out of the bat sometimes when things aren't going well. But um, I kind of like his emotion when he plays. Uh, you know, I thought that this guy – I thought Brandon Lau was done. I thought it was over, that uh, that's it for the season. And then, Mark, I see where you report that uh, he's been running, he's been doing some things. Have we seen the last of him? I don't know. I thought you had, too. And, and Kevin Cash was fairly uh, fairly, you know, fairly adamant about it the day that Lau – after the day had the setback where he pulled the quad. He was a couple days away from coming back from the long, long rehab from the bruised leg. He pulled the quad and – 
Cash was pretty dismissive. He said he's done for the season, and I specifically said we're at the playoffs, and he said, well, now you know what, he's done. And I think they were just, that was just the initial medical review they got. And, and let's, let's be honest, when, you know, he was a, it took a really long time to recover from the first injury. Yeah. It's understandable that the team, the last thing they want to do is put another deadline out there and, and have him, you know, potentially quote unquote fail to meet that one too. But this mm-hmm. is an interesting development. And, you know, they got Eric Sogard. He's played pretty well for them. Uh, not maybe not shown the power that he showed earlier in the season with Toronto when they got him, but he's done a lot of other good things. He started a lot of rallies. Those guys play the same position. They both hit left-handed. You know, so it'll be interesting to see. But certainly, if they can get Brandon Lyle back and get him back during the regular season, again, there's no place for him to play. There's no rehab games. Instructional league can only do so much. So it'll be curious to see if he's ready to go. He maybe see some live pitching this week. Yanni Chirinos is also back at the Trop, so those guys may just kind of hook up in a little live BP duel there. And um, you know, it's not out of the question. And that alone, even if he pinch hits just down the stretch. I mean, they still, you know, this isn't, this isn't done. There's 17 games to go. They're two and a half ahead of the Indians, you know, just to make the field. Obviously they want to have that top spot. They want to play that wild card game at home. Uh, if the opportunity presents itself. So you know, even if Brandon Lau is a pinch hitter in the final week or two of the season, and then they can figure out what to do with him if they make the playoffs. Mark, I, I think the guy, you know, Kevin Kiermaier has not had that extended, you know, long streak on the on, on, on the DL this year, and I don't mean to jinx him. I'm knocking on wood here for KK right now. Uh, but he's had he's had some of these back, uh, neck spasms, I guess. Is this a big concern, or is this just something that, you know, another thing he kind of deals with? Yeah, I don't, you know, you go back to when he crashed into that wall in Baltimore, and, and I still yeah. would, would make the case being an uneducated observer, just a media person, but he doesn't look right still. The swing mm-hmm. still doesn't look fully smooth and fully fluid and maybe not yeah. full extension on it. So, you know, I, I would assume as, as tightly wound as he is, I mean, with the athletic body that he has, that when one thing's off, it's all going to kind of pinch and grab a little bit on you. So, yeah. you know, maybe a couple of days off, you know, they were off Monday. They have this three-game series uh, in Texas that starts tonight. Then, you know, three in Anaheim, then another day off. Maybe they can find a way to get him a little rest. But, look, there's no doubt you can watch this team for one game. You can watch this team for 30 games. It's very clear when Kevin Kiermaier is on the field, they're a better defensive team. I mean, Heredia is not bad, but he's still not the same. I don't think you have anywhere near the confidence uh, in Heredia that you do in Kiermaier when a ball's hit. And you saw it the other night where Kiermaier ran a ball down way on the way out of the normal zone of a center fielder and made a huge play. And you know, then he spun and tried to make the throw to first. That may have been what aggravated the neck a little bit. But those type of plays, when you're playing for you know getting in or not, or getting into a playoff game or in a playoff game, can be you know the difference. They truly can. Yeah, he's he's also gotten some delivered some big hits, some timely hits this year as well. Um, this is probably like the second or third, uh, at least the second year we, we really seriously asked this question. But I mean, honest to goodness, if the Rays make the playoffs with the number of injuries they've had, with being in the American League East, um, with uh, having to you know to sort of juggle um, their pitching and their lineup and all that, shouldn't Kevin Cash finish higher than third in the uh, AL Manager of the Year voting, or if not, win it? <laughs> uh, it's going to depend who you ask and when you ask it. Cause I can tell you about two weeks ago, he'd made a couple pitching moves that didn't work out. And then the Twitter feed <laughs> was filled with people who not only were they down on him, they wanted him fired and they wanted Joe Girardi <laughs> hired to take over the team this season. Like right now, they right gonna, now. Yeah, yeah. Fired on the spot. <laughs> so that, that was pretty funny. Um, obviously it's not going to happen. Obviously the Rays love the work he's done. Obviously he signed for a long time at a, at a pretty good amount sure. of money, but, 
Uh, I think he should. I, I think this is going to be an interesting year. I mean, a lot of people, and even amongst the Baseball Writers Association members who vote, there's kind of this narrative that um, baseball people complain about this too, that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that you know, manager of the year goes to the guy who wins when he's not supposed to, quote-unquote, so it's biased yeah. against the big market teams. It favors the, the little team that could, that squeaks in there, that kind of thing. So Aaron Boone is challenging that narrative this year. He's the manager of the Yankees. They've got all the money in the world. They've got all the big-name players. But they've had you know, the worst spell of injuries of any team in recent history. Uh, obviously, sure. a lot of their big guys are out. So the fact mm-hmm. that they won and they're going to win the division by a hefty margin over, over the Rays, I mean, let's be honest, they won the That's division right. over Kevin Cash's team uh, yep. with all the injuries they've had. I think Aaron Boone's going to get a lot of votes. But also, you know, the idea that you have Francona with the Indians, uh, Melvin with the A's, and Cash with the Rays, you know, three teams. The Indians have a decent payroll, but three teams that have had a ton of injuries. Look at the pitchers they've lost, Carrasco and Kluber among them. So, you know, kind of the survivor pool of whoever pulls that out. And, and then there's A.J. Hinch just steering the ship on maybe the best team in baseball oh, with the best yeah. pitching staff in baseball. And he's not going to get any love for it. But, you know, there is a philosophical question there. But long, long-winded answer to your question Kevin Cash should get a lot of votes. I just don't know if he's going to win it. Yeah, I, I would say that Aaron Boone probably has an edge this year because of what you just said with some of the injuries that they have had. Okay, when I when I pick up the the, the Tampa Bay Times every day and I look at the standings or um, I see who you know where the Rays are, there's one team I keep seeing, and that's the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's, Mark, for two years now, just don't seem to lose when they really need to. It doesn't seem to matter who they play. The Yankees can go out there on a, on a nine-game winning streak, and the A's will win three out of four. What is it? I mean, it's the old Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kids. Who are these guys, right? Um, as you look into your crystal ball here on, sep- on September 9th as we do this podcast that's airing on September 10th, um, who do you see as the, the biggest challenge to the Rays uh, in terms of making the wild card or not? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you, everything you said. I mean, the A's, it does seem like they never lose. Whenever you look up and thinking, oh, the Rays won today, Oakland has a tough matchup, maybe there's a chance to gain a game, maybe this will work out, or the A's have an injury, or the A's lose somebody. Uh, they lost Frankie Modest, one of their best pitchers, uh, to a drug suspension, who, by the way, will be eligible for the last week of the season. The way that works oh, out is kind of weird, even great. though he can't be in the postseason. Uh, so there, there's a couple things that, you just look at the A's and you, you kind of do just like people in other divisions and even maybe other ALE teams look at the Rays and say, how do they mm-hmm. keep doing this? Mm-hmm. I think the Rays look at the A's and say, how do they keep doing this? And, you know, don't have a ton of big names. They obviously got some really good guys on the corners there and Olsen and Chapman, but you know, where, where do they get these guys? Who are these guys? How do they keep winning? You don't see them play their games are at night. So that's going to be tough. I mean, if, I think Cleveland's flaws have been exposed. Now, Minnesota is having its own issues now, and Cleveland still has its eyes on trying to catch the Twins. So it's funny. Charlie Morton said this the other day, Rick, and it was interesting. And I, I mean, I've thought about it before, but just to hear it come from a player, which is it's hard to be in a wild card race because you don't know who you're chasing. He said, you know, you're in a division race. Usually you're playing. Now, this year it's weird. The Rays don't play the Yankees except for these last two games at the Trop, but they haven't played them since July. Usually you play the teams in your division a couple times late August and September. So you typically, you know, you're going to have a chance to make up those games. You're kind of going eye to eye. If you're not playing the team you're chasing, somebody else in the division is, it's kind of all in the family there. And it's weird in the wild card race because you almost, not that who you're rooting for matters, but it, you, you almost like, where, where is this going? Who, who's supposed to win? Who's supposed to lose? Who are you more worried about? You know, your scouting efforts are obviously split up among several teams at this point. 
But it is kind of a weird race, and at this point, if you're the Rays, I think your goal is, obviously, you're trying to finish on top. Oakland is probably the team. First of all, you the flip of going to Oakland versus playing at home just logistically is obviously much better, and that's a weird sure. place to play. There's a definite home field advantage. That game would be at 5 o'clock Pacific time. The shadows are going to be a factor if the wild card game's out there. There's always a little depth of field adjustment because of that giant thing or that football team that's still out there kind of i think i heard about the coach gruden somebody and <laughs> you know they they've kind of got that weird setup where it's weird for baseball the hitters always say it's a little tough the first day in there to kind of get you know reacclimated to how that looks and, and the vision from here at the plate so there's a lot of reasons they'd rather play at home than play at oakland for sure absolutely i'll get you out on this one dave dombrowski uh, uh has been fired by the boston red sox and you know, he was a guy that obviously had a lot of success with the Marlins and the Tigers and, and did uh, bring a number of pennants in, in a World Series to the Red Sox. How surprised are you by that? Shocking. I mean, it was, it was, there were a couple things brewing last week from our friends in the Boston media at the Boston Globe, you know, suggesting Dan Shaughnessy had written something a while ago saying, don't be surprised if he's not back. And just remember thinking, boy, that seemed odd. I mean, you know, they're going to have, you can't win every year, no matter what your payroll is. And, you know, they've sure. had some injuries, too. Obviously, Chris Sale, Evaldi, that was probably a bad decision to give him all that money. You know, Price has been on and off the injured list all year. So they've had their reason for struggling. So I, I was pretty shocked to see that and the timing of it, too. I get it that they've got some big decisions to make, and they don't want a guy if he's not going to be there to make those decisions. But they also don't have, you know, an obvious heir apparent. They're going to kind of go with a group of their assistants to run it for the rest of the season. And you know, pretty strong-willed owner up there, so we'll be very curious to see how that shakes out. But obviously an impact on the Rays because they're a division foe. He's Mark Topkin. He covers the uh, winning team in Tampa Bay right now with the Tampa Bay Rays who uh, have a chance at something called the playoffs um, coming up here pretty soon, and we'll see We'll see if the Rays can get it done it's in Texas. It's only been one game, Rick. It's only one game. Hang in there, buddy. Oh, no. Oh, no, Mark. It's 11 years, my friend. It's 11 years. <laughs> And uh, it looks like, thankfully, the Cleveland Browns are doing their part to uh, to stay, you know, with the longest uh, playoff list streak. But we'll see what happens to Cleveland the rest of the way. At any rate, you can read Mark Topkin on TampaBay.com, and he joins us uh, every week or so. We appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Mark. Good luck in Texas. All right. See you, man. So the Rays begin their road trip, of course, tonight with a game against the Texas Rangers in Arlington. You want to check out Mark's. Work there on TampaBay.com. The Bucks are back to practice, and we'll have a chance to talk to Jameis Winston as well as offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich today. The Lightning training camp, you can believe this, it opens Thursday already. Hockey is back. The first preseason game is in just one week from now. And speaking of the Lightning, do you see, uh, Steve, where Rick Peckham, the Bolts uh, TV play-by-play man for the last 24 years, has announced that he will retire at the end of this season. Yeah, he said he wants to spend some time traveling with his wife and seeing his sons more. Of course, one of them lives here in St. Pete, but the other one lives in Las Vegas, so he doesn't get to see very often. And mentioned his wife's gone on several European trips that he'd like to do too. And so uh, he'll be stepping away at the end of this season. So, uh, you know, for a lot of people in this area, I mean, you know, so many people have moved to Tampa. They don't know another voice of the Lightning. You know, 24 years, that's a long time. Well, that's a couple. That's a generation, and some, and some after that. So you're right. Uh, of course, great play-by-play guy on television, and uh, his, his wife, in fact, are it, she is my uh, daughter's Sunday school teachers. Okay. Uh, in church, yeah, a Greek Orthodox church there in Hyde Park. So, um, 
she'll be awfully glad to have Rick around because we we always see them on the week. We always see her every Sunday, and like Rick is someplace, and he's never he's never at church because <laughs> because he's always you know he's always covering the Lightning, and I'm I'm usually covering the Bucks in the rest of the fall. So it's uh, the wives' club over there. Um, but it'd be good uh, good for Rick to get home. Good for him. He's had an unbelievable career and great run with a great organization, and so he should enjoy uh, his time and uh, and his grandchildren and all of that. So. Congratulations to him, and uh, we'll enjoy him for one more season. You're right. A lot of people have never heard anybody else call lightning games on on television like like Rick Peckham. Hey, we're going to have a mailbag segment uh, tomorrow on the podcast. You still have plenty of time to get your questions in. Anything you have on the Bucks, the Rays, the Bolts, uh, any college football you may talk about, we're going to have Matt Baker on again this week, of course, to recap uh, the action in college football over the weekend. Florida State, whew. Just sneaking by in the overtime with a mixed extra point by Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, boy, you feel Charlie. bad for that kid. Oh God! I, I listen. Can I just tell you, any kid, um, and I say they're kids because you know, at most, you know, we're eighteen to twenty-two, sometimes less than that. Um, but it's just a lot of pressure to stand up there, you know, and it's an individual skill, and you know, the weight of the world is on you, and you just know that they're getting all kinds of grief if they miss an extra point or a field goal, but. He went shank eponymous on an extra point. Florida State dodges an enormous uh, loss, upset loss there to Louisiana Monroe. Another big second-half collapse for them. Unbelievable. I, they just can't put these teams away. And these, the, let's face it, Louisiana Monroe, I mean, they have, a, they have not won anything against anybody for a very long time, even in their own division uh, of football, uh, which is a lower level. So Willie Taggart's got some work to do. Charlie Strong still looking for his first win. Now he has a quarterback controversy as well. Um, We've well, got South Carolina whether... State this Saturday, so you hope you can alleviate the uh, winless problem. Well, I tell you what, offensively, Kerwin Bell needs to get going because this team is not scoring points, and that's that's a problem. And now uh, they may look for a spark with a new quarterback, so that's going to be something to watch. So we'll have lots to talk about uh, with Matt Baker this week, and of course, you can send your questions about that. Anything you got. Uh, send the questions to us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Versnick, this is Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.